Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, this show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 253rd episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. This episode is going to be really helpful if you have an anxious teen. Anxiety can be a huge obstacle to your teen's well-being and success. I brought in an amazing guest who is a coach and has mothered an anxious teen and worked in school systems for decades. And we have lots of helpful tips for you today. But before we jump into the episode, I wanted to let you know that I have a few more spaces in my Dial Up the Dream Book Club Plus. We're going to start this Friday, January 26th. This is a six-week program where you will meet with other like-minded moms. This is for moms who have a son or daughter between the ages of 17 to 25. This would actually be really perfect for the mom who has a senior who's about to graduate from high school. It's a really stressful time for y'all moms. I know that. So if you could use some extra support and weekly coaching where you can ask me anything and feel support from other like-minded moms, Well, I'd love to tell you more about this program. So since it's starting this week, give me a call at 713-408-6112. Let's hop on the phone for about five minutes and see if this is a fit for you. I would love to support you this spring. We will meet weekly with a small group of moms. Again, if you are interested, call me at 713-408-6112 and leave me a message that you want Again, if you're interested, call me at 713-408-6112 and leave me a message that you want to know more, and I'll give you a quick call back. Okay, let's jump into the episode. All right, let's be real. An anxious teen is very challenging to parent because often they refuse to do something that they should be doing, like go to school. And it's easy to get into arguments because they don't want to do the thing that they're anxious about. And these arguments can frequently spin out of control, especially because the teen is really, really scared. So to talk about what moms can do with anxious teens, I've invited Cynthia Copel to join us today. Cynthia Copel is a certified life coach for teens and young adults. She has a podcast and YouTube channel called The Teen Anxiety Maze. Cynthia spent 31 years as a teacher and school counselor in public schools. She started a podcast during the pandemic to reach her students since she couldn't see them face-to-face. This led to her wanting to have a broader audience than just the students in her school building. Cynthia now has clients around the U.S. and listeners all over the world. Cynthia is UMAP assessment certified. She uses the profile to help young people understand what their strengths, values, preferred skills, and interests are. This helps them find their why for tackling anxiety. So welcome, Cynthia Kafal. 
Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I know. I know we're going to have a, an amazing discussion today. I just know that. Mm-hmm. So the first question I ask my guests is, are you a mom? And if so, what's the ages of your kids? Yes, I am a mom. Well, I have a blended family. So my first marriage, I had a stepson and he's 40. And then I have a daughter who's 33. And then with my second husband, he has a 33-year-old and a 25-year-old. All righty. <laughs> yes, it's fun, fun stuff. So have they actually launched? Yes, everyone is out completely financially independent. Three of them are married. We have two grandkids and one on the way. So, <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so lots of things going on. So I know you focus on anxiety. So what made you decide to become a teen anxiety coach? Well, I was in the school system for 31 years. And so for one, I was dealing with students that were having anxiety It really has been in probably the last 10 years where it was super talked about. Before that, I mean, I think obviously kids were having it and we just didn't call it that. We were dealing with it. But so I have the school knowledge and the stuff that I was dealing with there with students. And then it was just in my daughter's adult life that she was actually diagnosed with anxiety. But then when we started looking back at all the signs, she was dealing with it from first grade on. So Mm. we just didn't know it was anxiety. People weren't talking about kids having anxiety when she was in school. And she and I had a conversation today, but she said, I don't think, I didn't understand what it was. I just knew that my brain told me a lot of crazy things and I was scared most of the time, but I didn't know why. So I'm curious about how did that show up when she was in first grade? In first grade, she was throwing up before school every day and she wasn't sick. You know, there was no fever. And I thought she was allergic to something. So I gave her this daily vitamin that she took. And I remember thinking, oh, she must be allergic to the vitamin. Or, you know, I was like thinking of all these different reasons of why she was throwing up every day. And I was a school counselor then. So I was asking her, you know, how's it going at school? Do you like your teacher? Are people nice? You know, all the things. Because I knew that maybe she was upset about something. And she did have bullying things going on, but she was always like, no, that's not why. I just feel like throwing up and then she would go to school. And I don't know, it was like really interesting. And later, I also thought back to she would grind her teeth at night. And I am not saying that if you grind your teeth at night, you have anxiety, but she ground her teeth so hard that she broke four big molars, like they were cracked. Mm -hmm. And she had to have stainless steel caps put over them because they were baby teeth, but because they were cracked, they could get you know, cavities or cause her problems. So they put stainless steel caps over them. And by the time she lost those baby teeth, she had ground through the stainless steel of the stainless steel caps that were on her teeth. And sometimes, I know. And sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not know that this was a problem? I just thought, Uh, oh, she just grinds her teeth at night. I don't know. And even when she went to college and she started having panic attacks, I thought that it was because of her birth control pills because they had caused her blood pressure to go up. But I didn't think about it, you know, affecting anything else. And so then when she was having these panic attacks, which was different than I had ever noticed her when she was at home, then I thought, oh, it must be the birth control pills. But, you know, the whole time it was anxiety. Yeah. And I, until she went to a therapist, at the end of her college years, she finally went to a therapist because she got tired of dealing with, you know, feeling like she was crazy. And... 
they diagnosed her with anxiety and she started taking medication. And after that, it was much better. She's had a baby and she had really bad postpartum depression and panic attacks when he was born because she was so, you know, thinking about what was going to happen with this baby. Then she actually then had her suicide planned, which I didn't find out till two weeks afterwards. But luckily, her husband realized something was wrong and made her go back to her therapist. And she was reassessed for like different meds or better meds. And now she's amazing. Like she's so happy and enjoying Mm -hmm. her life. I mean, I still ask her quite a bit when I see her, you know, are you okay? Are you suicidal? Are you know, like, I just feel like I have to keep asking her, even though I feel how good she feels and I see it, but I probably will never stop being afraid of that. But when I decided to be a teen anxiety coach, at first I thought, you know, well, I've experienced anxiety, you know, working with kids for 31 years, but I'm not an expert. Like I didn't take anxiety classes to find out about this stuff. And then when I started thinking about my lived experience and everything that went on with her, I thought, I think I'm the perfect person to do this. I think it's really hard when you're really close. If it's like a daughter, it's really hard to see those sorts of things. I remember I taught in a medical school for 19 years. And so one of the professors there who's like known worldwide for her research in ADHD came in and she was talking about her daughter and she's just so frustrated with her daughter because she did these things. And I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, I know like you have done all this research, but it seems like maybe your daughter has ADHD. And then she started laughing (laughs) because she was just so close to it Mm -hmm. that she couldn't see it. And like I had her on a pedestal. So anyway... I just think it's really hard when it's our own kids and stuff. Yeah. Well, I didn't want her to have anxiety, of course. I mean, I want her to be happy every day and, you know, not have any struggles in life as, you know, we want our kids to just be happy all the time. So I didn't want that to be true. But now that she knows it and she's taking care of it, there's a lot to be learned from that. And for her too, now being a parent, you know, how to experience her son and, you know, what's going on with him and not push any specific thing on him but she said I do kind of watch and you know if he says it's dark outside she said I'm like are you afraid of it (laughs) (laughs) and then I have to say no I can't like I don't want to put it on him but I want to make sure that I don't miss anything yeah so when you were a school counselor how would you know that someone was really struggling with anxiety and when did you know they were just using it as an excuse I don't know. It's so weird. I don't even know if I can describe it. When you work with kids long enough, you just get a feeling. But there were kids that I could tell. I'm trying to think of like specific things that I could describe. But there were kids that would come in and say, oh, well, I have anxiety, so I can't do my homework. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of saying it in a matter of fact way. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, tell me more about that. Because I would try to figure out how is the anxiety impacting doing the homework? And many Mm -hmm. times I would find that it was just a way, you know, well, I don't want to do it and it feels uncomfortable and I don't really know how to do it sometimes because I didn't ask questions or I didn't go Mm -hmm. in after school or whatever. And so if I say I have anxiety, then I don't have to do it. Or they would tell their parents that they had anxiety and that they couldn't go to school. Like, well, I can't attend school because I have anxiety. And a lot of kids, especially after the pandemic, stopped coming to school. Right, And I think some of them did have real anxiety because once 
you know, they sort of white knuckled through school before the pandemic and then they got to stay home and it felt comfortable because they mm-hmm. could stay, mm-hmm. you know, in, in what they feel is a safe space. And then it's like, oh, now you have to go back. And they were like, no way, I'm not doing it. I think sometimes those kids, you know, were kids that had been experiencing anxiety the whole time and they just went to school because that's what you were supposed to do. And then when they didn't have to, they finally saw, oh my gosh, I feel so much better when I'm not going there. But I think a lot of kids, I mean, most kids don't like school. I mean, I would ask, you know, kids that were like, well, I hate school or I don't like it. I'm like, well, I bet if you polled everyone in the hallways, most of them Mm -hmm. are going to say they don't like school or that it's boring or whatever. But most of them are here and they're coming and they're going to the things. And I would just talk to kids a lot about we have to muscle through uncomfortable things. Now, it doesn't mean that we push ourselves to the breaking point, but it means that there's lots of things in life that don't feel good or feel uncomfortable. And we still have to go forward and do the things anyway, whatever that is. And like getting on this podcast, you know, I get butterflies, I get nervous and I am a podcaster and I have a YouTube channel. But every time I'm turning the camera on or every time I'm going to be in an interview, there's an uneasiness that I feel. And I think sometimes people make that mean something's gone wrong or mm-hmm. I shouldn't do this or this means I need to stop when it might mean this is when I need to go forward. And I talk to kids too about, you know, there is such a thing as a mental health day where you just need to take a break from everything that's going on. Yeah. And then there's such a thing as doing that too much where then you're just sort of missing out and you're not pushing yourself to get stronger. You know, when we Mm -hmm. go to the gym and we want to build our muscles, you know, we have to go there daily when it hurts. And sometimes we don't want to go and like all these things, but it's just kind of like school. We're building our determination muscle or the muscle to I'm going to do things even when it's boring or even when I don't feel like doing it because you have to do that as an adult. Right. I've had a lot of girls have anticipatory grief. What that looks like is in terms of like, I just can't go to school. They do have almost like panic attacks about it and they get really, really upset about school or anticipatory grief about going to a dance, anticipatory grief about going to a party. And so that is exactly what you're saying is this grief is like a wall Mm -hmm. that's keeping them from something that they actually do want. Yeah. And I would ask kids that too. Because they're, well, I would say, always honest about, do you really want to do that thing? And they would automatically say, well, yeah, I want to, but I can't. Like my latest client, she probably, it was her first session and she sends me a text and says, I'm starting to second guess this. And it's because she wants to work with me to work Mm -hmm. on her anxiety. But then Mm -hmm. when the time comes for the meeting to start, it's like, oh no, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. And I said, I promise you, I am a safe space. You can be or say or, you know, however you are is totally fine. Just give it a chance. And by the time that first session was over, she was like, oh, you know, not that she's not going to be nervous again when it's time for the next one, but I'm positive she's not going to say she doesn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. You just have to get through that initial, what's it going to be like? I feel like a lot of my clients and students, it's that intolerance of the uncertainty. I don't know what it's going to be like when I go there. So now I don't want to do it because I don't know, you know, what the outcome is. And we don't ever know the outcome of things. Like we'll never do anything if we have to know 
what is it going to be like when we go there? Or what's the outcome of this when I do it? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just talk them through the other times when they have done something that they didn't know the outcome of and how amazing it was when it was over. And not everything turns out amazing, but you need to go out and experience things or you're not going to do anything. I have kids that wish they would get their driver's license, but don't because they're mm-hmm. too afraid of mm-hmm. going to do the test or doing mm-hmm. the driving with somebody in the car with them. Or they really want a job, but they're too afraid to go do the job. I had a girl that she really wanted a job and her mom kept trying to get her her job because, you know, as moms, we want to take care of the things and we want to solve the problems and we want to do all the stuff. So her mom was going around and getting applications at places and bringing them back to her because she was like, well, she wants a job, so I'm going to help her get this job. So when I talked to her about it, she said, those jobs require like a lot. They were like being a barista in a coffee shop and stuff. And she was like, that freaks me out even thinking about it. It freaks me out thinking about it. I'm not like one of those quick people that can just mm-hmm. go do all these things at once. And I said, yeah, you need to start like slower and quieter. Like what kind of job could we do? And I said, what would you want to do? And she said, I kind of just want to stock shelves somewhere. You know, like I want somebody to tell me, put these things in this way or in this order, and then I just go do it. And then I don't have to talk to other people. And not that she would stay in that kind of job, but I think to start, she needed a baby step that, okay, she's getting out of the house. Mm -hmm. Someone else is telling her some instructions to do, Mm -hmm. but she's being left alone. And then once she felt successful on that, we probably could add the step of, okay, well, now maybe you'll be the cashier for 30 minutes once a week, you know, like where you kind of get used to being around some people and you have to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And then what happens the next time? She did end up getting a job at a coffee shop that was super low key, that didn't have a lot of clients. And I told the people, the bosses, I said, she really needs to be protected at first. Don't give her a lot of like, 10 steps to do whatever. And she was also hearing impaired. So I feel like she had like this, I won't be able to hear them. You know, like there was a lot of things compounding the anxiety, but we ended up working through it. And she was one of those kids that didn't go back after the pandemic. And then she finally did. So as we talked about things, she finally worked through, and hers is a lot of thought processes, you know, thoughts that are unreasonable thoughts that say she's terrible, that she doesn't know anything, that she's damaged or, you know, all the things. And we talked through a lot of, you know, how true is that? And would that really happen? And finally, we got her, you know, kind of out and about doing things that she wanted to do, but was just had no clue how to make herself do. Yeah, no, that's good. I want to talk about what moms do that they think is helpful and isn't. And what can moms do to actually be helpful with anxiety? So, for example, the girl who had some anticipatory anxiety about going to school, you know, she would get into a power struggle with her mom or power struggle with her dad, and then she would get way more escalated and cry and scream and lock herself in the room. And, you know, dad was like just wanting to push her and get her to go, and then she'll get over it. you know, you just need to do it, but it's like yelling and screaming. So that wasn't helpful. No. So what would you say? What do moms do that they think they're being helpful? Because that's a perfect example of the mom gathering all the applications. Mm -hmm. It looks like that's really helpful. Yeah. Well, I would say one is when kids are dysregulated, that's not the time to talk to them about what you want them to do because they're not going to be in their thinking 
mind anyway. And when you're dysregulated is not the time to talk to your kids about what you want them to do. And that sounds like, you know, the parents kind of were dysregulated as well as the kids. And I know that's difficult because if a kid goes, runs to the room and slams the door, sometimes you're like, I want you to talk to me about, (laughs) you know, whatever, but you've got to give them that time and you've got to give yourself the time to be calm. But I tell parents to really just be curious with your kids about everything, but with anxiety as well, like ask them, tell me all about what does it feel like? What kinds of things have you already tried? What help do you need from me? Because maybe they don't need your help. And if they do say, well, it would really feel good if you did X, Y, or Z, you know, figure out if that's something you could do. I think if they feel like it's safe that they can say things to you, they're going to be honest about what they really need and not taking anything personal that they say. One of the questions that I like parents to use, but I want them to be careful when they use it is, am I part of the problem? Because it's kind of a loaded question. And if your child feels comfortable enough to tell you if you're part of the problem, then to just listen to what the problem is. You know, if they say yes, and here's why, don't try to explain it away or, you know, stand up for yourself or think that, oh, I'm a bad parent because they said this. It's actually a great way to start building a relationship with your child when they can be honest with you about something that you're not doing that they wish that you were doing or you're doing that they wish you didn't do. And also assuming that they can't take care of it on their own. If you do everything for them, if you call the teachers about everything, if you make all their doctor's appointments, if you go around and collect a bunch of applications for them when they haven't asked for that or they don't, that tells them, oh, my parent thinks I can't handle this. They think that I don't know how to do this or they think that I'm not capable of dealing with this problem. And especially with teens, we really have to be building that muscle of them being able to do things on their own because in very short period of time, they're not with us anymore. And if they don't know how to solve problems, if they don't know how to be uncomfortable and figure out a plan to do something, that's all that college is, is a bunch of uncomfortableness and problems. And they (laughs) have to be able to figure it out. And so you can help with that by asking them, you know, what could I do to help? What do you need me to do? And asking them, what have you tried that has worked? Could you try that again? You know, and maybe helping them in that way, like the problem solving questions, because maybe they don't even know how to problem solve it, but you don't solve it for them. You walk through the questions you ask yourself when you're trying to solve a problem to them as they kind of work it out in their own mind. And maybe ask them, you know, well, what's your plan? What's your next step going to be? Do you need help with that step? You know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, you definitely wouldn't want to ask that question, am I a part of the problem when either of you are dysregulated? No, that's not going to work. But I do think being open to the fact that something that you're doing or not doing is part of the problem and being okay with that. Because we aren't given manuals on how to parent kids Mm -hmm. either. Like we don't, we're just going around blindly half the time too. So it's okay if maybe it's not working right and we can make a change. Yeah, I have a a different version of that question. And I'm just saying, I want to be helpful, Mm -hmm. but I recognize this may not be helpful. Is this helpful or not helpful? Mm -hmm. I love that. So that's another way to say it. So I think I see lots of girls and you were in school settings, so I'm sure you did, and guys actually. But The way I think of it in terms of anxiety, sometimes, I mean, there's definitely a huge physical component to anxiety, Mm -hmm. and then there's definitely the mental component. 
But a lot of times when I'm talking to kids is they are just, they're freaking out because it just feels like too much. Mm-hmm. And like my visual for it is just like 5 million thoughts have just collided and they can't sort it out. And it's hard to be able to see steps. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to go back to something that I was thinking when you're talking is I think the difference where, you know, anxiety is like an excuse versus it's real. And, you know, an excuse is something you don't want to do. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But for someone who has anxiety, they don't want to be feeling this way. Right. They want to go to school. They want to go to the party. They want to succeed. So mm-hmm. this anxiety is this block for something they really want. Mm-hmm. So I think as a mom, you ask them is like, oh, my God, I'm just so overwhelmed. There's just so much. I can't do it. I'm going to fail. It's going to be terrible. And I just think you can help by asking questions to get to like the details mm-hmm. and helping sort out all the things. Well, okay, why don't you write everything down that you have to do? Mm-hmm. So you get it out of their heads. So it's like you're saying is we're being more of a consultant at this point mm-hmm. than telling them what to do. Right. Well, because when we tell them what to do, they're going to turn off of that anyway, because they don't want to be told what to do. Right. And then it blocks them from having to use their own problem-solving skills that they need to hone and get better at because, you know, you're raising a child to be an independent person away from you. Mm -hmm. And they need to be problem-solving it their way with your assistance with, like, questions and telling them, hey, why don't you write all this stuff down? Let's look at it. Let's see what's really on here. I used to do that. I had a wipe-off board in my office. And when kids would come in totally overwhelmed, I can't get all my homework done. It's too much. I don't know what to do. I say, okay, tell me what you need to do. Let's write down what is every assignment you have. We'd write it down. You know, what does your schedule look like tonight? What do you got going on? You know, what happens? Okay, tell me as soon as you get off the bus, what happens? What time is your supper? Do you have chores? What's your bedtime? And then we'd look at the time and we would just do some time blocking. I'm like, okay, well, from six to seven, doesn't look like you have anything. How many things could you get done in one hour? You know, and then as there was like, Then there was all these open spaces where the homework was done and they were like, I have a lot of free time. I'm like, yes, you know, you, you your brain tells you, oh, everything's terrible. This is the worst thing that ever happened. And when you talk it through with someone, it's like, oh, okay, I think I can handle this. I happened so many times. And parents can do that too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're not as likely to want to work it out with their parent, especially if there's been a lot of conflict in the past where, you know, they were fighting a lot or their parent, you know did demand or control or punish or all the things that go on that makes them reluctant to talk to you. But if you want to start new, even if that has been the case, you know, like, okay, I want to try something new today. Let's just talk about what do you need to do? And then talking through without getting upset about what's going on. And sometimes kids would tell me, I don't want to do that assignment. And so I would talk about, okay, well, what would happen if you don't do the assignment? You know, sometimes it doesn't even affect their grade that much. And if it doesn't, I don't get that worried about it. Because I had some parents that were like, <laughs> they have to do every single assignment or the world has come to an end. I'm like, well, if they don't do this assignment, they have an A minus instead of an A. Is that really a big deal? You know, is that like the end of the world in the scheme of things? And I think we get caught up as parents thinking, oh, well, if we let them off the hook for this assignment, then they're never going to do anything again. They're just going to stop doing work or they're going to, you know, be this worthless adult that doesn't do anything. And that's never the case. So I'm curious because you've been in the school system for a really long time. 
And what I've noticed, because I've been a therapist for a really long time, about the same amount of time, is it just seems like today everything is so high stakes. Mm. There's so much more pressure, I think, on kids today than 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. First of all, is that what you see? Mm-hmm. And if so, what do you think is the impact of this high stakes? The parents feel it, and I think then they pass that down to their kids. Yeah, well, this is what I'm seeing, and I don't know if this is true or a popular belief, but I see it a lot of the one-upping with parents, like, well, I, my child's going to go to Yale and Harvard and all these places, and I never bought into any of that stuff, even as a school counselor. And I had kids that went to Harvard and Yale and I wrote their letters and I helped them do all the things. But I don't think it matters where you go to school. If you want to go to college and you want to get a degree, that's amazing. Go do that. But you can do that down the street at the local university just as easily as you can go to Yale. And Well, it isn't easy to go to Yale and Harvard. (laughs) Most people don't get in. But your degree... Very rarely, like where you get it rarely matters. If you want your child to go to college and they want to go to college and they want to get a degree, that's a done deal. They will absolutely be able to do that. To me, the high stakes need to be taken out of it because Mm -hmm. there's no high stakes about there is a school that's going to take you. In in the town that I live in, it's a four-year university and it has some master's degree programs. And I mean, the kids that got in there... (laughs) I mean, there's really no barrier. I mean, they had some list of things that you should do. But even if you didn't meet those, they still want kids to go there. You know, they have like this window of kids that they can let come in without it. And I really wish we would get away from, and I think the high stakes is self-imposed. I think that the parents think it's high stakes. I think the kids get the idea it's high stakes. And I had kids that, you know, they'd have kids in their class that were, 4.8 GPA kids and they're like, well, I'm nothing if I'm a 4.0. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. none of this matters. Mm -hmm. I had a boy who his parents were the ones that were pushing him and he got a 35 on the ACT. 36 is a perfect score. He got a 35 on the ACT and they wrote ACT and told them to get rid of that score and they just kept making him take it because you got to get the 36, you got to get the 36. Oh, he was under so much pressure and I just couldn't explain to them enough about this is not good for him. And he really went through kind of a crisis at the end. He was ranked number one in his class all through high school. And I don't know what kind of a grade he got on something at the end of his fall semester senior year. So he went into the second semester senior year as ranked two. And when he found out he was ranked two, he just gave up. He just stopped doing anything. And I said, being ranked two is just as good as being ranked number one. Like it really means nothing. And he just could not handle that he was ranked number two. And I'm like, we had about 500 kids per class. So being ranked two out of 500 is still amazing. And he did end up going to Dartmouth, but he gave up a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff that he could have had. And he was sad most of his second semester because a number dropped from a one to a two. And that Again, I feel like that's self-imposed. His parents were imposing it. He was imposing it on himself. Maybe even other kids do, but you can't buy into that. Mm -hmm. And I know it's happening more than not. I'm on so many college parent Facebook pages and stuff, and they're constantly just devastated that their kid didn't get into some crazy school. And it's like, that doesn't matter. 
And I don't know how to make people understand that it doesn't matter <laughs> because, because they think it matters. So, you know, they're not changing their mind. Yeah. When I talk to moms, I talk about the holistic view of success mm-hmm. that a lot of times, especially I think junior and senior year in high school, that we're just focused on the grades because we feel there's really high stakes and the kids feel it, the parents feel it. Sometimes the parents don't feel it and the kids feel it. So we yeah. have that culture. Mm-hmm. As you're saying that story, I've got so many of those stories where the girl who, well, she was number one. She was valedictorian, but she didn't get accepted to Harvard. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and Vandy. But she got accepted to all these really great schools. But she just yeah. thought, all this hard work, then I should be able to get this. And so she didn't enjoy anything about her senior year. Yeah. She did not enjoy her life. So if you're so high stakes, it contributes to mental health issues yes. and you don't enjoy your life. This one girl, she was a senior involved with a billion things in school, kind of all calculated for college. She was so stressed and was so lived in that way that she put post-it notes in the shower stall to study. She had no downtime. Mm. And then a year or two, she went to a school that was the upper echelon programs that are hard to get in at those colleges. Mm -hmm. So she got into one of those and she's again, did everything. And she was so anxious and just did not enjoy anything. But on paper, you would think, you know, she's in the sorority she wanted to be in. She's in this and this. She's doing really well, got the internships and was just unhappy. Mm -hmm. I think also is I would expand the definition of anxiety in the sense that anxiety is also telling you that you're not living well. Yeah. You're not living up to others' expectations, your own expectations. Yeah. yeah. And that and there's it's something not, wrong with you. And it's not everyone. And, you know, I also see people, you know, more like your daughter, that it, to me is more biological. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of anxiety I see, I think, especially post-COVID. Also, I'm sure you see this too, because we kind of deal with the same genre of people is all the social media. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that that has heightened people's anxiety because you can see that you weren't invited to the party. You can see that, I mean, even though there's filters and stuff, this person looks better than me. This person's life looks amazing. And I tell kids a lot, you know, that's their highlight reel. They're showing you what's good about their life. They're not showing you when they're crying in their bed at night. They're not showing you when somebody broke up with them. I mean, some people post that stuff, but, you know, not as many people are doing that. And if you feel like social media, like as much as you're using it, if you're feeling really bad about yourself and you notice after I look at it, I'm feeling worse, then you need to start thinking about almost looking at it like a diet in a way, like, these foods make me feel good. So I'm going to do these things. These feed foods don't make me feel good. So I'm not going to eat them as much. If something about social media doesn't feel good, then you need to start thinking about how can I put some boundaries on that? Or how can I put some time limits on it? And parents can help with the time limits. Now, not the, you know, I'm taking your phone and you can't look at it anymore because that's the way they connect with people and they need to be able to do that. But if you feel like they're getting really depressed or anxious about, the things that they're seeing, talking to them about it and maybe helping them come up with some limits. Because there's lots of great apps on the phones themselves that help limit your time. Like it'll shut different apps off after a certain amount of time. Or I don't know, some people, I know some parents had access to turn the Wi-Fi off 
on certain devices at a certain time of day. And so there's ways that you as a parent and the child themselves can come up with some boundaries and limits that feel good, but help them to not get so pulled into what other people are doing and these people are better than me. I just tell kids, you know, it is in our nature to compare ourselves to others because way back in the millions of years ago when we needed to stay in a group in order to survive, we didn't want to be too different from other people because then we might be the lone person that can't survive by themselves. But we don't live like that anymore, but our brain doesn't understand that. So we need to think about when we feel like comparing, compare ourselves to ourselves. So, well, today, you know, this happened, but tomorrow I can make it better by whatever. And so comparing your yesterday to your tomorrow or something, but not to other people. I completely agree. What does the Anxiety Maze Navigator contain? Okay. I am also UMAP certified and I know a lot of people don't know what UMAP is, but we use the Clifton Strengths. So I test their strengths, their values, their preferred versus their burnout skills and their interests. And all these four assessments are in one assessment called the UMAP. But I use that information along with other anxiety like learning ways to calm your central nervous system and a lot of thought work where we look at the thoughts and how can we tweak them to say something better? You know, like if I have this thought, how do I change it to this thought? And it's a 12-week program that they go through where they learn all about themselves, but they're also learning about their own specific anxiety, whether it is biologically based. And most of that, I just go through and ask them, You know, if there's a trigger to their anxiety or they can pinpoint, oh, when I think this, I get anxious or when this happens, I get anxious, then that's more of the thoughts that you have about that situation. Or if it's just like I'm laying in bed and all of a sudden my heart races and I feel panicky, that's more biological based. So we kind of just talk about where's your anxiety coming from? And then we come up with a plan for at least what they can do themselves without medication and therapy. Not that they don't need those things, but I don't do those things. So I help them with all the other things that they can do. And then I've also worked, you know, some of my clients are seeing a therapist and getting medication and do then my program to just like help the mind stuff and the central nervous system regulation stuff. And then I have some kids that you know, they didn't need the therapy or the medication. They just needed to realize, oh, I guess I'm not crazy or, oh, I need to think about this differently. Like instead of thinking I hate school and then, you know, being anxious about going to school, thinking, oh, well, I kind of do want to go to school. I just don't like what happens there. Well, how can we make that part better? So that's what my program is about. Awesome. So what last advice would you have for the moms listening? Well, give themselves grace because, you know, we don't have a manual about how to do this. And, you know, we try our best. We're all doing our best to be the best moms that we can. And sometimes we miss the mark and sometimes we do it right. But, you know, every day you can try new things. Just be open. Be a safe place for your kids to talk about anything, to talk about how crazy they feel or even they're angry about something and just allow them to have those feelings and just be curious about it. Kind of like an investigator, like, oh, tell me more about that. Well, why do you feel that way? Well, what have you tried already? And like giving that power to them in a way that you're still kind of leading it. You're the guardrails, but they can kind of go, you know, in the middle, they have some leeway to do things their way. And I think that that will open up so much opportunity 
for you to know more about what's going on with them and just having a better relationship with them. So what about the moms who are listening who are anxious themselves? Well, definitely they should be doing what they can for their own anxiety. Like if they're not treating or managing their own anxiety, they need to figure out how they can do that. Whether that's talking to a therapist or even their medical doctor, they could ask, you know, that's a good place to start if you haven't started anywhere to take care of your anxiety and trying to find ways to regulate themselves so that they can be regulated in a talk that I'm going to do tomorrow for parents, I'm going to talk about how there's some things you can practice with your child. There are things that, you know, like listening to the Calm app or other apps that are kind of like, you know, do that with them and then do enjoyable activities where you don't talk about anxiety and you don't talk about the chores and all the stuff, but you just have fun. And even if it's like playing a video game that you don't really like or know anything about, they're still going to enjoy you being there doing it with them or dancing around, listening to music that you wouldn't probably listen to yourself, but, you know, just enjoying mm-hmm. it with them. All of that stuff builds that relationship where they do want to talk to you about those things and it will help your anxiety. And I think probably those that have anxiety have a warmer heart or more of an understanding for their child and their anxiety than like me, where I was like, well, just stop thinking about it or just stop, <laughs> you know, going there or whatever. And, that, you know, that wasn't helpful either. So how can the moms contact you or find you? Well, my website is www.cynthiacofalcoaching.com. I am at Cynthia Kofel Coaching on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. (laughs) I think I have most of them. Those would give you the gist of it. But all my social media platforms, you can either message me or my email is ccofel at cynthiacofalcoaching.com. So they can email me and I would love to help anyone in the consultation. We can talk about, you know, like what would next steps be, whether it was with me or not, but at least you would have some kind of a game plan to go forward with what you, what you were going to do next about your child's anxiety. Well, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it so much. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.